Intelligent, sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm not pushing for speed, but we're not removing the sanctions. And we're going to have, uh, I think, a very interesting two and a half days in Vietnam. This is an interesting poll that just came out. Listen to this. This new poll finds conservatives actually gaining on liberals. And by that, what we mean is the number of states where liberals outnumber conservatives has dropped. Just moments ago, the House has passed this controversial abortion bill, 106 votes to 36. Now, House Democrats say this is all about preserving the same rights women in Vermont have had for the last 46 years. And now, Stacey Washington. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Monday, and we have so much to talk about. Uh, First off, programming note, we will be live and direct to you from CPAC. CPAC 2019 is going on at the uh, Washington, D.C. hotel they always host it at. It's actually across this little waterway, and so it's technically, I think, in Maryland, but... Uh, whatever the locale, I'm going to be in the nation's capital and hanging out, doing some fun things, um, touching base with some people I haven't seen in a great long time. And one of the things that's going to be so fun about that is just that we're going to have the opportunity to um, not just reconnect, but also to kind of add to what we're doing here in the way of show guests and reconnect to some people we maybe haven't seen in a while. And then, of course, it's the inaugural of me actually broadcasting from there. So in all of the years that I've been to CPAC, and I've missed a few years, family commitments always come first for us, but I've definitely never had the opportunity to broadcast from there. So I'm talking about broadcasting from Radio Row. I've done tons of interviews from CPAC and I've met amazing people and so I can't complain, but this will be my first year actually on Radio Row as a broadcaster. And this opportunity, I I just have to say, praise God for it. Um, I'm so excited. And we're going to be interviewing some pretty fantastic people. We're lining those up as we speak. Um, The the different people who are actually going to be there are reaching out and saying their availability for us to interview them. And just, I'm just so excited. It's going to be really fun. So who do we have on the show today? Well, We're going to speak to Chris Woodward from OneNewsNow.com. He's going to come on and chat with us about uh, news of the day. Tons of stuff going on, and they have a lot of great content there. If you want to get a preview, you can go to OneNewsNow.com and check it out for yourself. Uh, Right now, I want to also just preview a little bit of uh, Bernie Sanders, you know, YouTube's forever. And when people go to these conferences and they make these statements, usually it's on the right. Someone will go to a conference and say something really incendiary like there are two genders or men and women are different or people who are transgendered are mentally ill, something like that. And then years later, that audio will resurface and they'll say, oh, you said this horrible thing. You can't speak here. You can't be in Congress, something like that. Well, this is similar to that, only instead of it being something really incendiary that he said that's actually true, because the things that I just said that are supposed to be so earth shattering, those are true statements. Bernie Sanders has a lot of old audio where he praises communism. He even would sit on panels with his wife and they would talk about their visits to these third world, third block communist nations and how they have all this beautiful architecture. And so, uh, you know, first things first, I've been to U.S. back when Russia was the USSR, that the initials were how we uh, actually referred to uh, Russia and it was CCCP in English. 
I was there as a teenager and I saw the beautiful architecture and I saw the public buildings and all of that. But I also saw a lot of poverty. Their, their main city, Moscow, it's gorgeous. It's modern. It's lovely. They mix the modern with the old, old, old architecture. And we're talking about carved ceilings, carved moldings, um, just, just gorgeous. And then they have a lot of brutalist architecture that is hideous, but it's so outsized in its scale that you just can't help but be impressed by the ugly enormity of it. And then they also have uh, abject poverty. I mean, like, it puts our Appalachian rural areas to shame uh, as far as, you know, being examples of uh, what, what poverty looks like. So the, the Sanders, as a couple, really went over there and got sold a bill of goods. And willingly, they took the bill of goods and they bought it and they loved it. And they tried to come back to America to sell it. And so when people say Bernie Sanders is just, you know, a, 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 a communist with a socialist jacket on or cloaked in socialism... And, and everyone says, no, 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 that's not so. It is so. It is absolutely so. That is who that man is. And the sooner we get around to accepting it, the better. So we're going to be hearing from him and his wife. I, I, I love the way she looks and the way she talks in this. She sounds like she's talking about, um, you know, my, my love of uh, spode porcelain. You know, just... If, if we're talking about something so benign, so sweet, so innocent, something that doesn't hurt anyone, you know, buying, buying a dishware doesn't hurt anybody. She talks about communism like women who collect dishes talk about their latest, you know, latest uh, dishware pattern. It's amazing. It's amazing to listen to. So we'll hear that. And we'll talk about this Vermont House bill, uh, which approves l- lawful abortion up to birth. And specifically states that babies shall not have independent rights under the law. And I have a number of poll pieces for you. Gallup says that liberals outnumber conservatives in only six states. That's down from nine. And that um, there's also some poll information on abortion, which I found kind of shocking because I didn't realize the numbers of abortion opponents were so large that that most Americans don't view abortion possibly in the way that they did 20 years ago mainly because, uh, I think, of technology and, of course, you know, answered prayer. So first off, we always do this. I always love sharing this with you. And this is encouragement, uh, our daily encouragement, which today is for the brokenhearted. Um, I was reading through some scripture and thinking, you know, about maybe some things that we haven't touched on in a while or haven't ever covered. And I thought about people who are brokenhearted because of loss or uh, difficult circumstances or whatever the case might be. And I wanted to, uh, you know, share these scriptures in the hope of touching those people and, and encouraging them. And if you have someone in your life that's going through something like this, the loss of a family member, uh, the loss of a, a friendship, the loss of a job, the loss of anything, uh, these scriptures are very encouraging and they can do a lot to help us move ahead and, and receive healing from God in these areas. So Psalm 73, 26 says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Isaiah 41, 10 says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And that's Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. 
John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So in all things, we can trust our creator to be there for us, to advocate on our behalf and to work all things out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And remember, uh, that part has an, a component of obedience. So that's getting in the scripture and um, trusting God for the outcome, being obedient in all things, as is his will for us in Christ Jesus. So I hope that encourages you today. So first, I want to hear this little, this is a little bit of a teensy bit of audio that I want you to hear before we get into this next subject. That's number three. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. Does that sound familiar? That's the Seinfeld show from way back in the day. And he says, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it. And that's the situation we find ourselves in right now. We have an entire country of people, some on one side, some on the other, some happily oblivious and not on any side. And out of all of the people who I'm discussing here, all of the Americans, everyone has a belief system that they're really buying into and they're sure this is right. And so when, it, when he says, remember, Jerry, it's not a lie <laughs> if you believe it, that is so true. Now, we don't want to be deceived into thinking that things that are lies are true. But how often are we actually deceived into that very situation? And so I, I know we're not doing a whole lot of discussion about AOC, but I do think one of the things that has been really sold to a lot, especially millennials and young people, is that no matter how hard you work, you're never going to make it. If you're black or you're brown or you're a woman, if you've got some kind of mental illness or if you're working, you know, against yourself by engaging in sexual sin, which honestly, that that is a sin against the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you're, you're not going to be as prosperous as you could be if you're engaging in that. But the idea that you could be in America today in 2019 and work super hard, you know, maybe get an education, maybe go to training school, maybe work your way up from the bottom of something, start your own business and you can't make it. This is something that's being sold to us. And when I say us, it's all of us because we're all impacted. For every person that's out there who thinks, you know what, I got to get up today and I got to kill this thing. I got to do my best because if I do, I'm going to be further ahead at the end of today than I was at the beginning. And at some point, I'm going to hit my stride and I'm going to be successful. For every person like that, there's another person who gets up in the morning, looks in the mirror and says, I'm a victim. The white patriarchy is oppressing me and I got to find somebody to pay for all the things that I'm going through. They don't look at their choices. They don't look at their decisions. They don't look at their culture. And when I say culture, we have American culture, but underneath that umbrella, we have differing forms of that. You have the what they call white Anglo-Saxon Protestant culture, which is uh, church attending, two family, you know, two parent households, living in the suburbs, working, maybe even the wife staying home, and a family unit that is very traditional, which has yielded a lot of success. Now, you can go back into the history and say, well, they were able to do this and they were able to do that. And there was segregation. There was. Yes. But in the model, that is the, the one that gets the most success. Instead of looking at that and saying, I want to I want to emulate that. We have a lot of people who are saying, yeah, the reason why two parent households are successful is because they've got some kind of marriage advantage, which anyone can have. All you have to do is find someone that you like and marry them or 
do it the biblical way and a man finds a wife, you get married, and then you start having kids. But there's something more to it than that. There's this, I read an article on BuzzFeed, and I know BuzzFeed is trash, but bear with me here. I read an article at BuzzFeed over the weekend about student loan debt. And in the article, they interview people and talk to them. These are young college professionals, and some of them do actually have degrees in you know, very respectable fields, but they complain about how even when they had very low student loan debt in undergrad, they went on to graduate school, and maybe they went and it cost $50,000. And so now they have these unmanageable loan payments. And they talk about the interest being loaded up front and how even with forbearance and even with, you know, deferred payment plans, they can't seem to stay on top of it. And they're just not making the money they thought they would make. And so the article is very detailed. And I actually, I thought it was so interesting. And since our kids are in that high school to college range, we're going to actually have a big discussion about it over dinner tonight. But it was, it's one of those things where I kind of wonder the, the more I dig into this, and it'll be interesting to see after our discussion tonight, if when we unpack it, is it truly that these people are literally doing everything the way they were told to do it and they're still failing because the system is wrong? Or is it because we've bought into a lie, like he says, it's not a lie if you believe it, that you have to borrow money to go to college and that in doing so, you have to be provided a way for that to work out as opposed to the truth, which is, a lot of people are going to colleges that cost sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year, and they're going for majors that aren't going to yield the kind of ROI that's going to enable them to pay those student loan debts. We're, sixty, seventy thousand a year means you're well over two fifty when you're done. Most people are taking longer than four years to complete a college degree. If you're borrowing all of that money, how can you expect to be successful unless you come out and make $150,000 a year and everything else is perfect? Never a mistake. You never uh, maybe get fired, get laid off. You never have any break in employment and you don't, you don't borrow for anything else. You rent, live with roommates, drive a used car. Does that sound like something you're going to do if you're making $150,000 a year and you have all that student loan debt? You're already used to living high off the hog. So I'm, I'm kind of previewing this because I want to touch back on it a little bit over time as a continuing conversation as to what we really believe. It's not a lie if you believe it. Do we believe that all you have to do is graduate from high school and go to college and you can borrow any amount of money that you want and when you're done, you're gonna have the opportunity to earn money and make those student loan payments as opposed to the more frugal American outlook that we used to have, which was you don't borrow more than you can afford to pay and if you can get away with not borrowing anything, you do that. Which is the lie that we're choosing to believe and which is the truth? We'll discuss it. I also have this story about this kid who made $35,000 in four days shoveling snow. <laughs> so we'll be right back. Hello, I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, on our spiritual heritage tour of Washington, D.C., we go to the Supreme Court. That's one of the places we go on, on day one. And we visit the inside chambers. We go to where the justices sit. And it's an amazing place to visit, the Supreme Court of the United States. We don't just look at the outside. We go to the inside and see where the justices sit and where oral arguments are heard. So that's just one of the places we visit on one of the days. We're in Washington, D.C., and we also go to Mount Vernon, the home of George and Martha Washington. So we're going in September. June's full. September will be filling up soon. If you want more information on this Spiritual Heritage Tour, go to spiritualheritagetours.com. That's spiritualheritagetours.com.
Hi, I'm Crawford Ritz with a Legacy Moment. I remember many years ago when our grandson Clinton celebrated his second birthday, our son and his wife took him to one of those fun places where they serve pizza and they have games for the kids. Brian shared with me that for some reason, when the clown approached Clinton, he got scared. Brian said for the rest of the evening, little Quentin kind of clung to him, stayed glued to his daddy. I guess my grandson knew that his father would protect him and take care of him. There are times when we are frightened, too. We get scared because it's bigger than what we thought it was going to be, or it was more difficult than we thought it was going to be, or there's a greater opposition than we had anticipated. But when God himself gives us an assignment, we can be assured of his presence. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 and 9, God underscores his perspective with Joshua. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. The end of verse 9 says, Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's incredible to me. Think about it. When God gives us an assignment, the pressure is not on us. The pressure is on him. God always gives himself to us when he gives us an assignment to do for him. God didn't say to Joshua, okay, go on over there. I hope you make it. No, he said, I am with you wherever you go. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. You're not in this thing by yourself. God is with you each step of the way. Cling to him. He will protect you and take care of you. You've been listening to Legacy Moment with Crawford Loritz, pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia. To view an online transcript of today's thoughts by Crawford, go to livingalegacy.org. That's livingalegacy.org. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Um, it's my pleasure to point you over to all of our fun sites. UrbanFamilyTalk.com is where you can find out about the conference. It's a marriage and family conference, marriage, family, and life conference that we're going to have at the end of June. And you can find out everything you need to know about this ministry-wide it's going to be a huge, it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful conference. Um, an extension of what we did last year, an expansion on that. Uh, you can go to urbanfamilytalk.com to find out more about it. You can go to afr.net to read all the blog posts over at The Stand. A number of our hosts right there, and it's fantastic content. And then you can go to stacyontheright.com and hit the subscribe button, and we'd be so happy to have you there as well. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome... Chris Woodward. He is from onenewsnow.com, and we always have a great time chatting about news of the day, and we're looking for updates and, and kind of to get current here. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. All right, so let's talk about it. What's the what's hot on the button over at onenewsnow.com? Well, in addition to uh, Coca-Cola coming out with its first new flavor in more than a day, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> there is a new flavor of Coke. It's orange vanilla. Apparently, oh. beat out uh, raspberry, lemon, and ginger, three different flavors. But anyway, um, but as a as a former uh, friend, uh, well, uh, a longtime friend of mine would say, I digress. Um, yeah, the big thing we're watching right now, a lot of pro-life news, um, one of them being a vote later tonight. Uh, the U.S. Senate is expected to vote on a bill called the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. This is a measure introduced in January by Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska, and it would protect the lives of infants who survive abortion 
And of course, it comes after a number of states have tried to step up efforts to allow abortion up until birth. New York was successful in that effort. Virginia talked about it. That failed, but it'll come back. And now we even have the Vermont House passing sweeping no-limits abortion legislation. So uh, on the federal level, Senator Ben Sass and a number of other senators are trying to protect the lives of infants who survive abortion. And American Family Association, by the way, the uh, ministry that oversees all of us uh, here at uh, here at AFA and AFR and Urban, uh, is supporting the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. So uh, that kind of piggybacks onto, I found this this piece, which it the story is about uh, a number of different things, the Vermont House approving, which you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. But at the end of it, and it's over at lifenews.com, um, they actually have some poll information, and I just wanted to get your feedback on this. Um, so there's there's an interesting statistical anomaly here, which I don't think gets reported on mainstream media outlets, which is the, all of these legislative acts that seek to make abortion lawful up until mm-hmm. and even after the birth of the baby are really out of touch with most Americans' views on abortion. And I'm not talking about East Coast, center of the country variances. I'm talking about across the right. board. Uh, it says a national poll by Marist University, which is not a conservative organization, says three in four Americans, 75 percent, say abortion should be limited to at most the first three months of pregnancy, which includes most Republicans at 92 percent, independents at 78 percent and a majority of Democrats, 60 percent and six in 10 of those people who believe this identify as pro-choice. So they're pro-choice, quote unquote, but they think after the third month, if you haven't made the choice, then you have a baby coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really, you know, we were talking about this uh, earlier today on AFR Talks, Today's Issues program. Tim mm-hmm. Wildman, president of AFA, had mentioned how he recalled back into the 1990s when then-President Bill Clinton talked about uh, a need to make abortion, you know, safe and rare, something yes. of that sort. And here we are now. I mean, there are people that, if given the opportunity, they would allow they would allow for abortion after the baby has been born and maybe hit one or two years old. We have completely, yeah. we have completely just, I don't even know the word for the direction that we've moved in. It's, it's horrible. Well, it's depravity, um, and it's the, the state of the human heart, which the, without Jesus Christ, we're depraved and wicked. But I think what's interesting is if we're talking about a very vocal minority of depraved individuals who are pushing the pendulum in this direction— um, a May 2018 Gallup poll found that 53% of Americans oppose all or most abortions. So mm-hmm. 53%. So if you break these numbers down, if you take that 53%, well, that leaves, you know, it, it's a sizable number of Americans who are in favor of abortion. But then if you break it down further and you talk about, well, let's just say instead of saying all abortions, let's just say that first trimester, then you people solidify around that. They're willing to accept that, but they're not willing to accept the rest. But we're seeing the passage of the rest of it, what comes after that first trimester. I think we it's because we're falling down on the job yeah. and doing you know the discipling that we're supposed to do and really talking to people one-on-one about what abortion is and why we oppose it and being vocal about it. Because I think Americans are afraid to oppose right. it because how vitriolic the, the opposition can be. Well, I think, you know, I talked about uh, the need for... Well, let me back up. A few weeks ago, I interviewed Sam Rohr of American Pastors Network, and Sam had mentioned how uh, we need to churches across the country 
talk more about the life issue. It needs to be preached more from the pulpit. People need to be talking about it in congregations, Sunday schools, what have you, uh, because a lot of times it doesn't get mentioned. If it does, it might be on like, um, you know, a, a pro-life day in Sunday once a year, in January once a year, uh, but then it doesn't get, you know, touched again. And I think some of the reasons for that is some pastors are afraid they're going to maybe uh, be viewed as getting into politics and that would jeopardize their tax exemption status or whatnot. Other times I think pastors are afraid that, uh, you know, some of their congregants might think, well, you're preaching too hard or you're, you're touching on my sin, but that's what a pastor is supposed to do. And, and also, too, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank too much on the fact that, well, you know, we've got a Republican-led Senate. This bill's going to sail through because I talked about it with uh, Carol Tobias of the National Right to Life Committee, and she said it was her impression that there might be a couple of Republicans that would actually vote no on the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Okay, yeah. So I heard that, too, this morning, uh, that, that there are a couple of Republicans who are going to swing to the, the other side. And I think that's really instructive. So those Republicans probably come from states that, you know, are much more liberal in their orientation. Mm -hmm. And so they feel like they have to do that to stay in office. But this should be a moral issue that we can cross lines on. Like the the young woman, she's a elected Democrat and she's pro-life and she spoke at the March for Life this year. Mm -hmm. And she's doing that regardless of her party affiliation. And I believe she's doing that because she's a Christian and she believes that she's going to be held accountable for this. So while she may be, you know, liberal in other areas, she feels like the life issue is where the rubber meets the road for her and she right. doesn't want to be faced with that. I, I agree with you about the pastors, but I also think there's it's something much more fundamental, which is we have this desire to be liked and not to be seen as radical or fundamental or extremist Christians when the gospel is extreme. Mm -hmm. The the idea that we could just say, you know what, this is just too it's too dicey of an issue for me that pastors could say that, that parishioners could say that. That's why we have so much of this just running loose across the country because we're not, we're not saying, you know what? Okay. It is extreme, but the gospel is extreme and I want to be on the right side of that. And so I'm just, I got to be, this is where I have to be. We have to make a choice to advocate on behalf of the unborn. Oh, otherwise we're advocating against them because there's really only two sides you can be on. Right. And you know, we all, we talked about this, uh, several weeks ago when we were talking about Nancy Pelosi quoting a Bible verse that's not actually a Bible <laughs> verse and how that must right. be from the NPV. You know, uh, don't just take it from what, you know, don't just uh, don't just get your Bible from our shows uh, here on AFR or Urban or whatnot. Actually get into the Word yourself and, and see what it is that we're talking about. Uh, don't let us be your only church. Get into the Word and figure out things uh, and where exactly God does stand on life. God does not like hands that shed innocent blood. He actually hates it, uh, the Bible tells us. So that's why we here at AFR or Urban or whatnot uh, tend to be as pro-life as we are because that's what God tells us in his word, which we call the Holy Bible. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the examples that we can take is it's this is shared widely across social media by Will Addison, Miki Addison, uh, um, Abraham Hamilton III, lots of uh, people here on the network shared this story about how I think it's the Methodists and they have their African counterparts mm -hmm. at this conference and the African counterparts don't want to sign on to a revision to their kind of doctrinal statements that would permit, um, you know, homosexual marriage and homosexuals in leadership. And, you know, just it, it basically would recognize the kind of falling away that we're experiencing in the United States and kind of open the door to it across the world. 
And the African delegation, a pastor from there said, you know, we're used to being different than our American counterparts. We live on less. We don't have as much wealth or excess. And, and even if your, your decision to do this means that we can't have, you know, your partnership monetarily, others around the globe will, will fill that gap. And we, we trust God to take care of us, but we will not sell our support for something that's ungodly for your mm-hmm. partnership and donations. And it's an eloquent speech that he gave. I didn't feel like reading it, there was any anger there. It was just a simple statement that he would not deviate from God's word on what he believed. And we all need to adopt that attitude on these really, these are core issues. They're biblical issues where the Bible is clear that we are not to destroy the unborn. Uh, We have to get stronger on this. Right. And it's not just Methodist. I mean, we've seen um, cultural issues pop up in other denominations uh, to the point that uh, politics has really been uh, the message preached from the pulpits, and you've had some, you know, uh, membership. Uh, you've had churches drop or have uh, membership issues where people are leaving and finding other places to worship. What's interesting with the Methodist situation is, you know, how did those churches in Africa get planted? They were from Methodists here in the U.S. that obviously went over there and preached the gospel, trained up pastors, and um, started operations there. And now it's the Africans that are holding the line. Uh, on where exactly God's word stands on these issues um, that are trying to keep the mother denomination, if you will, in line as well. But uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen, given the way a number of denominations, not just the UMC, has gone. Mm, yeah, and but I think it's really interesting that in—so what you just said, that's that's totally the case. The Methodists went over there and and planted churches, and now over here in the United States, we've been so— just led astray mm-hmm. by our culture that now it's the the baby churches, you know, the, that's what you would call them because they're so young compared to the Methodist church in the United mm-hmm. States. The baby churches are like speaking to the parents and saying, no, you, this is sin. You can't do this. Exactly. And they're willing to stand alone. They're willing to say, we may be baby churches, but we'll kick off our training wheels and we'll become, mm-hmm. you know, full blown adult churches. And we won't, we won't, if you won't support us and you want to go away from the gospel, you'll go on your own because we'll stay here with God's word. It's a great example for us. And I think, you know, it's, it's really telling that it's the reversal. And there's often a lot of people will say to me, and I, I don't get into a whole lot of end time stuff because I feel like there's so much work for us to do. Right. We don't. We shouldn't spend time bickering about who believes, you know, what exactly Revelation says. But there is no reference to something that is I, exactly the United States, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, and obviously that's, you know, the, the, the Bible was written before we existed right. here as a country. But it just seems like we're on a very, very bad path. <laughs> <laughs> as a church, as, mm-hmm. as the, the Christian church in America, for surviving until, you know, what, what Revelation says begins to unfold. Where will we be if we keep on this path right. legalizing late-term abortion and even abortion after birth, which is infanticide, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera? You know, and Janet Mefford, uh, she uh, aired some clips of herself at a conference that she recently attended, and Janet had made the point that the reason churches are having problems they're having today on a number of issues is because people in the church did not confront them and did not be the salt and life we're all called to be, salt and light, we're all called to be in the public square. And that's why we're seeing these issues come in from the culture into our churches, and now churches are trying to bend in ways they're not supposed to to try to make everybody in the congregation happy. That's not what the church is supposed to do. 
No, it isn't. And it's supposed to be that when you're out of line with what God has, you know, in, in his word for us, that members of the body, you know, confront and gently lead you back to where you're supposed to be. It's not supposed to be that every sin, everybody has their own sin. They put a banner on or a sticker. You know, I, I believe in same-sex marriage. I believe in this and that. And then the church tries to conform to every sticker in the in the seats. Mm-hmm. That's not the way it's supposed to work. And, you know, Janet Maverick is really wise when she talks about these cultural issues. We have a, an enormous, it's like a brain trust of people who are out there speaking and writing the truth. And it's up to individual Christians to say, I've got sin in my life. I need to figure out where I need to repent. I need to repent and just give up on going my own way so I can please God and glorify him because eternity is a really long time to be wearing, you know, your sticker eternally right. separated from God. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, I don't know what the exact thing, you know, the thing we need to be um, talking about more in church. Certainly we do need to be talking about the life issue, but I think just, um, sin in general, because it's not really until you understand what sin is and that you are a sinner that you can understand grace as much as a, a human mind can try to um, understand it. Um, you know, it, we need to be preaching more on the sin because um, then you understand the need for salvation and what grace is. We do too much of, I don't want to say prosperity gospel, but a lot of church messages tend to be more on the love your neighbor and, you know, be kind to one another and don't use bad words and all the things that we should uh, understand and adhere to. But it's got to be it's got to be brought back to sin and gospel and uh, the good news of Jesus Christ and why exactly is and why exactly he came. Otherwise, we're just trying to be the best people we can be in a lost and dying world. And as a result of trying to do things like that, we are seeing the issues we're seeing, not just in the UMC, but nationwide in a number of churches or just in society in general. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I, so, uh, and I'm, I'm one of those BSFers, Bible Study Fellowship, and we're studying the life of David and we're at the difficult part because in the beginning, David is this idealist oh, sure. and he's just, it's, it's so wonderful to read about him. Is there not a he, cause? Yeah. 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 And then he goes into this part of his life where he makes an enormous mistake and the ramifications from it. It's a great learning time about sin, but it's so hard to read because you, you're so high up when you get to the place where he, he falls. And God is faithful, but the lesson is that he doesn't tolerate any sin, and we're all sinners, we're, all of us, because we sometimes say, oh, I haven't killed anybody, you know. Right. But we're, we're all sinners, and we need, uh, we need the gospel. Amen. Thank you, Chris Woodward. Thank you. Thanks for joining today. I'll talk to you again soon. OneNewsNow.com for more. We'll be back with more here. Stacy on the right. Your calls. Keep it here. Can solid teamwork building principles apply to all of life? Here's Tony Dungy, author of The Soul of a Team, with today's Uncommon Moment. In my book, The Soul of a Team, S-O-U-L is an acronym, and the S stands for selflessness, which is defined as putting individual needs aside for the good of the team. In 2007, just before my final season as a head coach, the Colts drafted Anthony Gonzalez, a wide receiver from Ohio State. Because he wouldn't complete his studies until June, Anthony was unable to make off-season practices and minicamp. Not wanting his new teammate to miss out, Peyton Manning drove three hours to Columbus, Ohio twice a week so he could spend an hour going over the playbook with Anthony and another hour and a half throwing to him. He sacrificed his own time because that's what the Colts needed to be successful. 
Tony Dungy, best-selling author of The Soul of a Team from Tyndale House. More at CoachDungy.com. Stephen Black. Because my molester spoke to me while being molested that I had somehow caused this, I had a deep sense of darkness and shame. The thing that I see in others is ministering to them, this deep sense of shame. And that's what brings about healing once that is discovered that their innocence was taken from them. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through the 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hi friends, there's a new show in town on Urban Family Talk nightly, 7 p.m. Central. Join me, C.L. Bryant, as we build the bridge to conversation throughout our great nation, the greatest nation on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known. Nightly, the C.L. Bryant Show over Urban Family Talk, 7 p.m. Donald Trump's America. President Trump tweeted Sunday that the only collusion in 2016 was by Democrats. This, as the Mueller investigation is rumored to be near a close. When the report is done, House Intel Committee Chair Adam Schiff says he wants it to be fully released, citing on ABC's This Week. The intense public need to know here which I think overrides any other consideration. The Justice Department argues if no charges are filed, it can decide how much of the report is released. Also, the president jets off to Vietnam for another summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. On Fox News Sunday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says denuclearization remains the goal. We're determined to achieve that. It's important for the world's security. On Fox's Sunday Morning Futures, GOP Senator Lindsey Graham says a treaty with North Korea would be a big win. They give up their nukes. We help them develop their economy, and uh, all, all ends well. The Trump-Kim meeting begins Wednesday. Gernal Scott, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I think it's also fair to point out that when we were in Moscow, for example, I think most of the people here also were extremely impressed by their public transportation system. The stations themselves were absolutely beautiful. Uh, including many works of art, chandeliers that were beautiful. It was a very, very effective system. Also, I was impressed by the youth programs that they have, uh, their palaces of, of, of culture for, for the young people, a whole variety of, young, uh, of programs for young people, and cultural programs which go far beyond what we do in this country. Uh, we went to a, a, a theater in Yaroslavl, which was absolutely beautiful, had three separate stages. Their cultural programs are put on by professional actors and actresses, including a puppeteer uh, area. And the cost, the highest price of the ticket that you can get was the equivalent of $1.50. Okay, welcome back to Stacy on the Right. If you want to call in and join us and talk about old crazy Bernie Sanders and his communist love and self, come on and call in 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. You can join us. Okay, so listen, listen, guys. So I've seen some of these structures he's talking about. One of the parts of Moscow that we toured was their train station. And you go underground and it's not like the subways of New York where it's a rectangular enclosed space and it's big enough for the train to go through, but there's nothing really glorious about it. Um, it's, it's like you go underground and it's a much steeper, like the staircases, it's, you go further down. 
once you get down there, you look around and there are these amazing mosaics in the wall and they go all the way up and the ceiling is, is barreled. So you have a barrel ceiling, you have mosaics going all up and down it. And if it's not mosaic tile, then it's um, beautiful, intricate paintings. Um, you might not like the subject matter of the paintings. A lot of the paintings are, that are on the walls are, are paintings depicting workers enjoying themselves as they work on the communist, you know, kind of plantation or what have you. Um, but it's, it's some of the most gorgeous, um, it, like, it's like going through a museum, but it's the train, it's the underground train. And so, you know, there's this juxtaposition, there's this abject con command and control structure, there are the gulags where people died for having their own opinions, there isn't a free press, we're talking about during communism, but then there's all this beauty in the places where people, you know, would use for public transportation. And Bernie Sanders mentions that it's only $1.50. Well, you can't charge a ton for a train that is built by the, the workers for free. You can't charge a ton for them to use it if they don't have money. So the fact that it only costs $1.50 is a reflection or the, you know, $1.50 to, to get to ride it. It's a reflection of the fact that the people don't have any money. So everyone has to ride it. So it's almost mandatory transportation because, you know, not very many except the proletariat and those, those who are in power uh, have, have their own private vehicles. So you have to ride the train. So they don't have to charge much for it. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's supported whether or not you're paying for it. You just decide you're going to walk to your job and you're not going to ride the train. And so everyone else is riding it. So it doesn't matter. So the, there's this, there's this, um, it's like a willful ignorance that the Sanders couple engages in when they're touting these things about communism. And remember, again, Bernie Sanders in this audio clip is not talking about a socialist paradise. He's talking about the communist nation state, a place where simply writing on a piece of paper that you disagree with whoever is in charge gets you kidnapped in the middle of the night. Maybe your house, uh, you know, shut down with a little sign put on it, you know, that people who don't believe lived here. Maybe your family disappears too. Maybe all of your extended family disappears. Or maybe you and your immediate family disappear, you, your wife and kids, and your extended family is told you may be missing your family member because they had the wrong views. To send a message to the rest of the community that you don't just write down anything you want. Maybe you're an artist and you depict something in your art that is not acceptable. You depict capitalism. You're gone in the middle of the night. They send you to a work camp and they work you so hard that your body literally fails after a year or two of it and you die. Or they send you to Siberia and torture you to within an inch of your life and then work you until you die. That's what he's glorifying here. He's doing it under the guise of having this eye for beauty. Who doesn't? Who among us doesn't like to go onto Instagram? I can tell you I do. If you see the people I follow on Instagram, I'm not following political types. I mean, I follow a couple, but the majority of the people that I'm following are showing decor or they're showing some amazing uh, like um, landscapes, landscape companies or <laughs> production companies that show funny videos that they, they actually write and do all of it themselves. So they're in marketing. It's the kind of stuff that stimulates the creative side because they get enough of the political side. I search that stuff out. I have the websites I go to. I'm constantly immersed in that. But when it's pictures, when you want to see something beautiful, all of us are stimulated by that. All of us enjoy visual representations of beauty. We're made for that. God created us for that. So 
it's like you're saying, I could go out and buy, you know, two acres of land and build a huge structure on it and then have mosaic artists and painters and sculptors come in and just lay the place out like a palace. And so it's beautiful on the inside and the outside is an architectural marvel and magazines are coming and photographing it. And then when they say, wow, this is lovely. What do you do here? I say, oh, we torture people here. And then Bernie Sanders would come and say, but what, how much does it cost to get in? I say, oh, it's $1.50. You can get in and watch me torture people for $1.50. And some people die, but look at the beauty of this building. And he'd say, yes, look at the beauty of this building. The building is so beautiful. Who cares what you're doing inside? Uh, What I want to know is for a dollar and 50 cents, I can come in and I can spend all the time I want here. Yeah. You only have to pay a dollar 50 once. We actually tag you like a dog. You know, we put something under your skin so you can get in and out as much as you want a dollar 50 once and you can get in and out all you want. You can enjoy the beautiful mosaics. And if you hear the screams of the people we're torturing, don't worry about that. Just keep looking at how pretty the ceiling is. We had it painted in alfresco. It took 800 hours for it to be finished. And it took a team of artisans who work for free Um, you know, it took them seven months to put it together. And so the whole building, it took us five years to build. And it even has an extensive basement system with a barrel ceiling with mosaics down there as well. And, uh, you know, we have a pit back there too, where we throw the bodies, but anyway, it's a lovely place. And he would just be all for it because it's pretty, pretty outweighs the fact that people are being tortured and killed there. Does that sound like someone who should be in charge of anything? He should not be an elected official, let alone mounting yet another run for the presidency. And all that money he raised from nincompoops and idiots and people whose brain synapses do not fire correctly, six million in like 30 hours, they're the kind of people who they would also pay $1.50 to get in and look at the pretty things on the wall while people are being tortured and killed. This is just craziness. All right, let's go to the phones. Hey, let's go to Jacob in Alabama. Hey, Jacob, thanks for calling the show today. How you doing, sister? <laughs> doing pretty good. All right. Okay. Um, now, I grew up not that far from New York City. And unless you grew up in New York City, you don't understand the mentality of a Bernie Sanders or a, a, a Ocasio, uh, you know. You don't understand yeah. the mentality because, see, the city... It's beautiful. It's got Guggenheim Museum and all this different things. Mm-hmm. But the city itself depends on where you grew up at. Squeezes the life out of you, and it makes you very small-minded and very um, narrow in how you see things. And the sad thing about but one thing is, even people like that, they have a certain aura about them, they have a, you know, a strength about them. But they're lost. And until, you know, if you don't, I, you know, as a missionary, I've been all over the United States, so and, and they brought up near the city. I know the mentality, you know. And then you got Ocasio Cortez; she was a bartender, and I'm like, and you can see her mentality. Plus, she grew up, you know, like that, this small, narrow mind, and she's she doesn't even understand this, the whole world's not like that. The whole whole world's not New York City, and that's, mm. both of them have that that mindset. And unless you stepped outside that realm and seen and experienced the whole world really, not going from one place to another, like New York City, you really, they, they really don't understand. And the, the saddest thing is, people, we are sheep. We will, <laughs> we will follow, you know, 
if it sounds good, and um, you just have to pray for them for the eyes of their understanding to be enlightened because mm. they are truly deceived and lost. Mm, I, I agree, Jacob. Thank you for calling the show. And so, one of the things that you know that that has to temper our conversation as Christians is to say, just like you said, these are people in need of a savior. When God sends the Holy Spirit and you become a Christian your eyes are open and you're able to see how idiotic it sounds to praise the architecture of a communist country. There's no doubt that Moscow is a beautiful city and that it, it holds beautiful artifacts that tourists can purchase. I have some right here in the house that have moved everywhere I've ever moved in, this, in, in my adult life. These little pieces of trinkets that I got from Moscow in, in my freshman year of high school, I have them with me. And they're mementos from that time. I have a whole stack of postcards, like six inches thick, of these beautiful places that he's talking about. Um, but in, at no point in our visit did I ever want to live in Moscow. At no point in our visit did I ever think to myself, this is what we should have in our country. I remember us marveling at how nice the people were there. Oh, my goodness, the Russians were so nice. And when they found out we were American students, they were like, oh, tell us about your, you know, so tell us about where you live. And they were surprised to find that we were coming there from Germany because that's where I grew up and we were living in Germany at the time. And they're like, well, you live in Germany. Where in Germany do you live? So we tell them where we lived and what the name of our school was and all that. And they're like, wow. So you speak such perfect language. And we're like, well, we're American kids. We, our parents are in the military. And they're like, ah, the military. And so it was really just a rich experience. But these are people who had no choice. It's not like they said, let's all be communists. They, they were born into communism and later they came out of it, but it's still, they still haven't recovered. Not in the way that we have been able to recover from the rough times we've had in the past. They, they have not recovered. And it's just so sad that people are buying this bill of goods. Keith in Michigan. Hey, Keith, thanks for calling the show today. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, um, Stacy, you and I come pretty much from the same generation, same time frame. I also served in the military and the Army. And it's something that I've seen in Germany, um, Berlin, one thing that everybody keeps on forgetting about is there is a distinct separation of what the culture was like, not necessarily the culture, but the society and how socialism impacted East Germany versus West Germany. It was mm -hmm. such a dichotomy different. And you've probably seen it yourself, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. living in Germany yourself. And one thing I wanted to say about Bernie Sanders, you know, it, it's great, $1.50 to go get a ticket, but it's pretty expensive if you're only making 25 cents a day. It is. It is. And the other thing, Keith, that we, we can both agree on is Bernie Sanders, with all of his communist, socialist, Marxist dreams, if he was told you only get to choose one, let's, let's go back 30 years, right? 30 years ago, you asked Bernie Sanders, you can live on this side of the Berlin Wall or you can live on that side. So east side or west side, which do you pick? He would pick the west side all day long. And if you said, but this is where they're practicing socialism, you have to be on the socialist side. He'd say, oh, nope, I'm an American citizen. I'm staying over here on the west side. I'm going to be a tourist here and I'm going to go back to America. I mean, do you think he would ever choose to live in a, in a fully developed socialist you know, utopia, as it were, like uh, East Germany? Not in your life. <laughs> of course he wouldn't. Thanks for the call, Keith. That's a great point. Um, I remember we took a field trip and you could take different kinds of field trips. And one of the ones that they had was you could get you're on a charter bus and you travel to Berlin and you tour all around all around Berlin. 
And then when you get to the wall, you get to actually ride the charter bus from the West Berlin side to the East Berlin side. And so that's the, the tour that we took as a school. It was a Berlin trip. And this, I mean, obviously I'm dating myself, but this is my, I took this tour. I'm not sure if I was in middle school or high school. We rode the bus across and it was like going from a colored world, a world full of color, a, you know, a, a, a full color technicolor world into a black and white world. All the buildings were covered with soot. They were dirty and there was almost no color anywhere. And everything was, you know, obviously in German, but some, there were also some words in Russian, you know, to label the buildings. But it was like, it was so stark. We came back and we weren't allowed to get off the bus. And this is back when the wall was still up. So we had to have permission to go across. It was a tour we took. And I remember ask, we, we started asking, the kids just erupted. As soon as we got out across the border and we saw, everyone said, where, where are the children? Where's all the color? Why, why, are, why is everything so gray and dirty? And our teacher stood at the front of the bus with the microphone and said, this is socialism. This is what happens when the government controls the means of production and the people and even tells them whether they can come or go out of their own country. This is what it looks like. I'll never forget it. And we've got Americans with their Starbucks and their, their, their lattes and their, their you know, $1,000 phones and their $900 worth of clothes on and their custom shoes and their you know, own slogans printed on their T-shirts advocating for Bernie Sanders to be in charge of this country. Every one of them needs a round-trip ticket to the parts of Berlin that have still not been remodeled 20 years after the wall came down. Germany, 10, 15 years ago, Germany was spending 20 billion euros a month to update East Germany after the wall fell. I know this because in 2006, my husband and I traveled to Germany with our kids and visited my high school and the place where I grew up and stayed in Stuttgart. And a lady at the train station told us our taxes are so high because we're spending 20 billion euro a month to update the old land, East Germany. All right, we'll be back with more after this. If you're leaving us, God bless from the heartland. StaceyOnTheRight.com.